Hello, I'm Sarah Khan and welcome to Backing Brilliant Business, a series by Radio Centre. They're the people helping businesses of all sizes grow with great radio advertising. In this series, I will talk to guests who want to share their own unique expertise and experience to help you with your business. From marketing experts who have reshaped how we see a brand in the marketplace, to entrepreneurs who've started at the bottom and are now at the top of their field. Each episode, we'll look through our guest CV to discover the most rewarding and most challenging aspects of their career so far. And we discover their three key lessons in business, the learnings, advice and practices that they want to share to help you be better at whatever it is you do. In this episode, we're joined by Dr. Grace Lorden. Grace is the founding director of the Inclusion Initiative and an associate professor at the London School of Economics and Political Science. Her research is focused on quantifying the benefits of inclusion within and across firms, as well as designing interventions that level the playing field for underrepresented talent. Her first book, Think Big, Take Small Steps and Build the Future You Want, aims to relay behavioural science insights to its readers to allow them to commit to a medium-term plan to realise their aspirations. Today she talks to us about how behavioural science can transform your business and shares three lessons that will help you with your business. So, Dr. Grace Lorden, but I'm going to call you Grace today. I've been given permission to do that. So, uh, welcome to uh, Backing Brilliant Business. Now, in each episode, I actually go through my guest CVs and pick out some of the key moments in their career so far. You have got so many key moments, I don't even know where to start, but I'll tell you where I'm going to start. I'm going to start with, what was your first job when you left uni? Thank you, Sarah, for um, having me on. I'm glad you didn't ask me what was my first job I had while I was at uni, because that would be a very... A very... <laughs> oh, then tell me, tell me that. You've got to tell me that now. What was it? So at the time, I'm not anymore, I was a vegetarian and I actually worked behind a butcher's counter, which was a fantastic <laughs> time in my life, I have to say. Extraordinary people and really speaks to the, you know, the value of, of SMEs. When I left university, I actually went to Australia and I took a job as a lecturer in the University of Queensland. So I was there for two years. I really went there, I have to say, for lifestyle because people told me that Australians have better work-life balance. And I can say it's true compared to people who live in London. I absolutely enjoyed it. It was just a bit too far away from home. So I ended up moving back to London to where I am now. Amazing. Grace, just let me just take you back to uni and the butchers. It's fascinating, isn't it? Because sometimes when you need to make ends meet, you just got to do the job. It's a terrible thing to say that sometimes you have to put your principles and your values to one side. So yeah, you, you, you have to work hard for things that you want, don't you? From an early age, if you haven't got the privilege of the bank of mum and dad. Absolutely. And, and you know, I, I certainly didn't. But if I was to go back again, I wouldn't have it any different way. So I made amazing friends in those jobs that I'm still in contact with today. I had an amazing time. And I think actually, you know, I learned some of my work ethic in those jobs, to to be quite honest. In 2011, you were the Associate Professor in Behavioural Science at London School of Economics. Why are you interested in behaviour? How did that passion develop in you as a person? 
I think to be honest, Sarah, I'm somebody who suffers from what I call, what, what is called reactance bias. So if somebody says something can't be done, I'd like to try and give it a go. And when I started my career, I really started with measuring things that were kind of hard to measure. So thinking about quality of life and healthcare. Now I measure factors in people's lives that people say that they can't measure. So things like their social networks, their levels of happiness, also inclusion within organizations, which I'm kind of really passionate about, you know, different types of voices within organizations. How do we actually capture that? And through this measurement, when these things are measured, how they actually affect outcomes became ultimately very, very interesting to me. And, you know, we we kind of started talking about me working part time in order to make money. It was actually quite easy to be able to make some money when you're measuring things that are actually hard that people want measured. Right. So it was it was, again, kind of a way to pursue a career that I found interesting. You know, I'm very, very curious about it, but also it's a path that nobody else is taking, which I find fascinating. In 2020, you were the founding director of the Inclusion Initiative. This sounds so very now. What is it about? And, you know, why did you feel necessarily to launch it? So we launched really because I'd done some work in companies and also in small outfits that actually invest in companies. And one of the big conclusions that came out, which really feels like a no brainer, is that if you have people from different backgrounds, different perspectives around the table, and they're listening to each other and they're in a very kind of mutually respectful way, embracing dissent, having arguments and trying to understand the other person's opinion, you end up with a better outcome, whether it's choosing a path for business, whether it's choosing something to invest in, whether it's choosing kind of a big project within a big corporate company. And that's really what I wanted to do was to kind of think about inclusion from the perspective of, no, this isn't you know good for society. It's not about having enough women. It's not about having, you know, bringing more underrepresented people in for absolutely no reason. The reasons behind it are really, really important. But sometimes it fails because when we bring diverse people who are highly skilled and highly talented into organizations, they don't have the same voice. And the reason they don't have the same voice is because of inclusion. So how can we now kind of think about bringing people together and recognizing actually for me, it's my gift to have my team within the LSE questioning the choices that I'm making, questioning where I want to kind of go in the future. And if I listen to them, we'll end up in a much better place rather than it being just about me commanding and controlling over a particular group of people. And we've ended up working with kind of very small enterprises from you know venture capitalists who choose businesses to invest in all the way up to big organizations that people would kind of think about as kind of balls and bearings, particularly financial services and tech. And it really does kind of work once you get this inclusion aspect within, within organizations. Right. Oh my goodness. I mean, you're talking there and I'm just thinking people don't understand inclusion because I I agree with you. I don't think you need to bring people on just to tick a box to say, hey, we've got the disabled person, we've got the Asian person, we've got the black person, we've got the woman, because I feel that's what's happening in big industry. In fact, in a lot of places. And I think for that reason, it's not working. Just because you've got a seat at the table, it doesn't mean that you're included. There's a real difference, isn't there? There is. And you see this, you know, some of the some of the groups that you've mentioned, black women in particular, Asian women in particular, tend to leave big corporate companies to set up their own business because they recognize that they have these skills, talent and ability to make something work on their own. And they're not being listened to in the big organization. And you can see this in the labor force survey, but also in kind of the decliner survey of people leaving big corporate organizations that you might actually think about. And I think it's obviously it's a good for society to have these talented individuals set up business. But at the same time, they should shouldn't be leaving for that reason. They shouldn't be leaving because they're not being listened to when clearly they could add a lot of value. 
Yeah, very interesting. So Grace, what I do with my guests is I ask them to choose a theme and you've chosen how behavioural science can transform your business. Why have you chosen that theme to talk about? So I think it's in my title. So, you know, it's, it's in some ways it felt like a no brainer. But, you know, behavioral science, as well as it being about people's behavior, which obviously helps business because you need to understand your customer's behavior in order to be able to serve them well and also better. So on the marketing side, it's really important. And behavioral science do incredibly well. But I'm more interested in the entrepreneurs themselves and how they actually make decisions. And, you know, behavioral science basically tells us that we spend 80% of our time on autopilot basically kind of responding to our gut decisions, not thinking things through clearly, and ultimately potentially making mistakes. And then we spend 20% of our time in kind of a slow, deliberate mode where we tend to get things right. And I think for entrepreneurs, really kind of recognizing that about yourself and making sure that you're slowing down when you're making these kind of really big decisions that there's no going back for can stand incredibly well to you. So um, I also ask my guests about the three lessons relating to your theme. Now, the first lesson that you want to talk about is identify the obstacles facing your business. Why have you chosen that as your first lesson? I think it's one of the most important lessons that I have from the research that I do, that people often have an ill understanding of the obstacles that face their own business. And I kind of like to divide them up into this idea is that is it you or is it them? So the kind of the stuff outside my area of expertise is obviously the basic skills that you would need for business, you know, things like financial acumen and kind of figuring out whether or not you actually have them. But what I'm more interested in when I kind of talk to businesses is whether or not they get hung up too much on the small stuff and whether or not they're dividing their decisions into kind of two different types. So this idea of a revolving door where these decisions are inexpensive to you. So depending on who you are, I mean, if if you're a startup, every decision might be expensive. It might be that you can't actually lose money. But for some businesses, it's actually okay to to lose a small amount of money so you, you can make decisions quickly in this economy versus what I call the irreversible door. And very often, the biggest obstacle for SMEs is that they don't recognize the differences between those two decision types. Am I facing a decision that I could ultimately go back to, it's not going to ruin my business, it's not going to affect me on a day-to-day basis, or am I facing a decision that is a reversible door? And the second obstacle that I think is worth flagging is the idea of the planning fallacy. Um, You know, human beings are really good for kind of making plans and getting excited about them. But we tend to overestimate the benefits of our preferred plans and underestimate the costs. And I think when you're looking at decisions that are the kind of irreversible door type decision, paying attention to whether or not you're getting the cost right. And the cost also includes your time, by the way, which most SME owners don't take into account that, you know, time is actually their most precious resort. So it should be costed like everything else. And very often entrepreneurs, and this is why people are, you know, running SMEs, they tend to be too optimistic. And taking the idea of the planning fallacy seriously, where actually for every decision that I'm making, that's irreversible. So it's not going to be that money. I'm paying attention to the costs and the benefits and I'm critiquing myself. Gives you the type of self-reflection that you've been talking about, Sarah, I think, that you're kind of figuring out why does something go right and why does something go wrong without the pain of actually committing to doing it too often because this really is just about irreversible decisions. This podcast is brought to you by Radio Centre, who are helping businesses across the UK grow with radio advertising. Head to radiocentre.org forward slash business to discover how radio can boost your company's performance, find out how the radio process works, hear from businesses who've found success with audio advertising 
access free training and even search for and be linked with stations in your area. You can find out all that and more at radiocentre.org forward slash business. Okay, so then our next lesson that you want to talk about is realise your business's full potential. What do you mean by that? Again, coming back to the theme of, of my book, Think Big, thinking about what if it all worked out for you. And I think this really kind of explains nicely the difference between somebody who might want to scale and somebody who might want to have a business that really just provides them with an income where they don't have to worry about employees. Don't worry about fear. Don't worry about constraints. Don't worry about loss aversion. And don't worry about other people's preferences. So just because we happen to be in a society where bigger is said to be better doesn't mean that it actually is. We do suffer a lot on quality, I think, when things actually scale too fast. And then if from the perspective of somebody who's running an SME, really sitting back and thinking, what do you have to do to get there? So do you need you know, additional skills? So do you need kind of skills when it comes to financial acumen? Do you need skills where it comes to an entrepreneurial mindset? Do you need skills where it comes to marketing? Or are they someone else's skills? And if they're someone else's skills, how are you actually going to afford to pay that someone else to come along? Are you going to rely on freelancers or are you going to rely on somebody who's full time? And again, bearing in mind that you have to manage this person and coming back to the idea of Monday to Friday, what am I actually going to be doing? I think there's a lot of people out there who love the idea of having an extraordinarily large business, but the management of people within that business, particularly when they're starting out in that kind of transition phase, when they're learning about the business, people don't necessarily think about the teething problems there. So when you're sitting back and you're thinking about what if it all worked out, making sure you're plugging in those steps so that you don't bite off more than you can chew too fast, but simultaneously that you're not holding yourself back. Now, you are talking so eloquently because you come from a behavioral science background. This is how you think. But if I'm a small business owner listening to this podcast, how do I ask myself these questions? What resources do I go to? I mean, you know, I'm running my business, I'm doing this, but I do want to, you know, grow wisely. I want to gain those skills. Where do I start on focusing on my skills and my behavior and how I can change to improve? So I think there's going to be kind of two types of people that are listening. So there's going to be people who I would kind of call the dreamers who would have no problem getting into dreaming mode and thinking about what that actually looks like. I think for people, and I find this hard, I think for people who find it hard to kind of visualize what if it all worked out two to three years time, think about comparing yourself to comparables. So, you know, for you, you mentioned L'Oreal, Sarah. So when, when you looked at L'Oreal, you know, you would say, actually, for me to get there very, very quickly, I'd have to sacrifice quality. So that's not where I'm going to end up in two to three years time. So now I'm going to look at another comparable who's held their quality constant, who's somebody that I admire or a brand that I admire. Maybe it's actually even in a different kind of product line, which I think is really useful. So, you know, if you're a butcher, look at the greengrocer. If you're manufacturing beauty products, look at somebody who's manufacturing, you know, something else very, very successfully and really look at what their model is in order to get there and what the person who's running that company is doing on a day-to-day basis and and, you know you'd be surprised if you look at some people who are trying to scale a lot of their time is actually in getting word of mouth out there rather than doing the nitty-gritty and the word of mouth stuff is a really really hard job and it isn't one that everybody would actually enjoy so thinking about whether or not you'd enjoy that For others, a lot of it is actually physically being in the business. So if you wanted to own a shop or a cafe, maybe what you'll actually be doing is waiting tables or serving customers. Is that something that you would actually enjoy? 
And if you look to a comparable who's doing it, how you think is better than you or bigger than you, what are the things that they've actually done to get there? And, you know, I think networking is a really great help in this. So if you see a comparable and they're within your reach, ask them. You know, I've learned an incredible amount about an incredible amount of businesses just by asking entrepreneurs from people who only have a one director company, no employees, up to really large companies, how you actually would get to where they would want to go should I want to do so. So I would encourage everybody who's actually listening to do the same. Yeah, that's really, really, really good feedback there and uh, just wise words. I mean, I, I think we get stuck in a rut. We just do what we do because it's comfortable. But sometimes it is that cold cliche of stepping outside of your comfort zone and just taking the time to sit and think and map your brain out. Not force yourself onto other people, but, you know, make yourself be known and vocalise what you want. Because when you start doing that, somebody could go, oh, I know somebody could help you. Because that's a great thing about the entrepreneurial community, actually. We do want to help others because that's why we're in this industry and why we have the mindset is because we enjoy helping ourselves, but also helping others to be successful as well. So absolutely. And then your final lesson is set achievable goals. Goals is a word that we use. We kind of band it around now, don't we? I was brought up to set a goal and make sure it was smart, specific, measurable, attainable, timed and relevant. Relevant and timed, that's how you spell smart. Is that still the way you you set goals? What's the new way of doing it? I mean, I feel in some ways maybe I should be interviewing you. So that's a really great. I think, I think it's a great. I think it's a great summary. I think the idea that you you know you think big and think about how it all works out gives you a big vision, and then I think the goals along the way, which are almost like the stepping stones, should be exactly as you described. So you should be able to tick them off. You should know when they're done. You should be able to actually chart the time, and that's really important for a number of reasons. I think firstly, as human beings, if something is too far in the future it's really hard to keep motivated to move forward. So having these goals as milestones along the way that you can actually see that you know that you're moving towards the right place, um, it will really, really just kind of help you stay on track. But secondly, having those kind of set in stone also allows you know when you're stumbling, which I think is really important. So what has kind of scuppered some businesses, I think, during the, the COVID pandemic is how do you actually react to uncertainty where we, we, we've never actually experienced something like this before? And if you take this kind of goal oriented approach where you're marking off a goal, should you not reach it? What I kind of encourage people to do is look to see why it's not actually working out. Is it something about you or is it something about bad luck? And if it's something about bad luck, really think about pivoting fast in a way that's within your comfort zone. And that sounds easier said than done, but you know, all up and down Britain, we saw businesses doing this really effectively during COVID. You know, businesses that were very affected by not being allowed customers into their doors, all of a sudden were delivering to customers in kind of new ways, partnering with companies that they hadn't necessarily partnered before. So when you don't hit a goal, taking the time to kind of sit back and say, okay, it's not working out, why isn't it? Is it me? Or is it the economy or some other bad luck? And if it's the economy or some other bad luck, getting ready to pivot, I think is really important. And the businesses that have done very well during the pandemic, I think have adapted quite quickly to COVID-19, but not in a way that was so dramatic that there was these huge cost outlays, which I know some businesses have actually suffered from. Yeah, I just wanted to come back on that. My husband runs um, an internet marketing company. On the first day of lockdown, they lost their biggest customer, which probably, you know, huge. And what I found fascinating watching my husband, he is an entrepreneur and he's a you know classic kind of management 
most people in that situation, they would have taken a step back and it would have really hurt. But it's interesting because drive, this is where drive and goals really come into their own. And I think what I saw was, first of all, I'm not going to let this, you know, stop me. I'm not going to let this affect my business. Secondly, came a real care for the people that were employed. And thirdly, there was so much face-to-face, i.e. over Zoom, of more kind of nurturing of the human resource in, in their collective and real encouragement and real motivation because not everybody can self-motivate not everybody has got that uh, you know natural positivity and I think when you're an entrepreneur heading your business setting goals and really stepping up to the plate at those times are, are really fundamental it's a really important behavior to have do you agree with that? I do. And I think two of the skills that you actually, that you named, I would love to see being taught as early as childhood. So, you know, the idea of tenacity, that people bounce back. And, you know, I think for people who succeed, ultimately their ego isn't wrapped up in whether or not these small goals will be realised. Their ego is wrapped up in actually being successful over the long run. So recognising that you're going to have dips and troughs and that it isn't personal. And so really teaching tenacity. But the second is empathy. You know, I think as we kind of move into the new economy, the demand for businesses to have empathy towards communities, towards people who might actually be struggling more than they are, is getting much larger. So again, kind of thinking about social entrepreneurship as a goal for SMEs is something that won't just pay off for society, but I think will pay off for the individual themselves. But also, I think when we talk about small businesses, that you know, we're talking you know, big turnovers for some of them, you know. But I, I think for me, what you're talking about, your, your, your expertise, which is behavioral science, it's about looking at your culture. It's about saying, what kind of culture have I implemented in my business for this new kind of business environment? Because it's definitely new, isn't it? There has been a definite change. And I think the demand on culture is, is really interesting. So when we start businesses, and I think this is the, this is the case for a lot of entrepreneurs, the focus is always going to be on firstly the product and then getting the product known out there in the market. And sometimes cultures within organizations grow in ways, even if the entrepreneur themselves is a really kind of, you know, wants a good culture. If you don't kind of take that as something that's an objective, it will just grow in a way that the people want it to grow. And that might actually end up not serving the company well. So I think kind of going forward when, you know, if you're a bigger company, you have to worry about the media actually talking about your company. If you're a smaller company, you have to worry about whether or not you can employ employees. And we know now that people are actually choosing to have slightly lower pay in order to work in a better culture, with more flexible time, more hybrid working, better amenities as compared to when they were in the past. So again, thinking of it as a business goal, investing in culture is definitely something that would pay off probably in lower wage bills. But more than that, I think in customers that would be more attracted to the company. So Dr. Grace Lorden, your theme today was how behavioral science can transform your business. Your three lessons were identify the obstacles facing your business, realize your business's full potential, set achievable goals. It's been absolutely fascinating talking to you. Now, before I release you, I do ask all my guests to come up with a radio jingle so that we can remember your very, very profound messages and and hum them for the rest of the day. So what would your jingle be? And please, 
feel free to be creative and you know belt out a tune for us oh so hard i feel like singing the name of my book because it's, it's all that was going to be there so identify your obstacles pay attention to your goals <laughs> oh i love it he's singing that's hilarious that's just <laughs> growling now Vera stop it I think I think I think I think Vera is telling me stick to my day job Sarah to be honest with you oh I love that you know it's, it's brilliant every time I ask my guests to do a jingle something really strange always happens but but to be fair I've never had Vera join in with anybody yet. so feel special feel very she, special she was very welcome <laughs> thank you so much for giving us your time a really really interesting talking to you and some very very valuable lessons so thank you so much thank you so much sarah for having me see you well that's been the backing brilliant business podcast with me sarah khan and i really hope you've enjoyed the many words of wisdom that came from our chat There'll be more amazing guests to come in the series with plenty of business lessons to be learned. So please subscribe and leave us a rating and a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. And be sure to follow Radio Centre across all of their socials on Instagram at Radio Centre underscore UK and on Twitter at Radio Centre. This has been an Audio Always series co-created by Eardrum. Thanks for listening.